Hello, welcome to this uh, EHA Multiple Myeloma podcast series. Uh, my name is uh, Pieter Sonneveld. Uh, I'm a uh, professor of hematology in Rotterdam, the Netherlands, and uh, working on myeloma uh, research and clinical. Uh, the EHA has introduced a series of uh, podcasts uh, that are focusing on uh, high-risk myeloma, cytogenetics, and other um, disease uh, conditions uh, that may be potential uh, uh, a threat to the patient. So we already had one podcast with uh, Professor Terpels from uh, Athens uh, about patients presenting with uh, renal impairment. Uh, and today we will focus on another uh, specific topic, which is high-risk disease and cytogenetics. Um, if you want to access these podcasts and other uh, associated resources, uh, please visit the EHA campus at uh, campus at www.ehaweb.org. It's my pleasure today to welcome Professor Katja Weisel. Uh, Professor Weisel is uh, from the uh, Eppendorf uh, University and Clinic in Hamburg, uh, Germany. And she's a well-known international expert uh, in the field of uh, multiple myeloma. And especially also, she is running a trial for high-risk uh, patients. So we would like to discuss with her today a couple of uh, uh, situations and conditions in myeloma patients that relate to high-risk uh, features. Uh, Professor Weisel, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you, Peter. Great pleasure being here and um, discussing with you this important uh, topic. Um, uh, yes, um, I'm working here at the University Medical Center, Hamburg-Eppendorf, and I'm a professor of hematologist and very interested also for a long time in uh, multiple myeloma, especially in uh, clinical trials um, on difficult to treat uh, patient groups. And I'm looking very much forward um, to our discussion. Thank you. Um, so we will uh, start with uh, the topic of cytogenetic abnormalities and markers of poor prognosis. Of course, uh, there's a lot of literature about it. And throughout this discussion, we will also emphasize that uh, if you want to read more, uh, please look at the EHA campus or in the international literature. So, Professor Weisel, uh, may I say Katja for today? Yes, absolutely. Can you uh, uh, briefly summarize uh, what is high-risk uh, disease in multiple myeloma? Yes. Uh, multiple myeloma is, so is high-risk disease, to my opinion. It's always a um, very heterogeneous disease, and even in the individual patient, heterogeneous. And um, we are very clear, I think, uh, that we have a subgroup of patients with a still an um, overall survival of only about two or three years, and these are our high-risk patients. But it's more complicated to design them. I think we um, divide a bit uh, between the cytogenetic defined high-risk disease and also the clinical high-risk disease, um, including patients who primarily present with plasma cell leukemia or extramedullary lesions or high LDH, 
who also have a clinical course of high-risk disease. Yeah, so it's very important that you mention that. Uh, so high-risk is not exclusively uh, cytogenetics, there's more. Uh, but for today, we will focus uh, on the uh, cytogenetics. Uh, so can you explain to us what are the main and most important cytogenetic markers of high-risk multiple myeloma? Yeah, I think we have three really well-established cytogenetic markers, and the most common of those is the deletion 17P, and then followed by the translocation 414, and uh, very rare, but also important, the translocation 1416. And those are the three abnormalities uh, where we, I think, uniformly agree that those define cytogenetic high-risk disease. Uh, however, we are in a continuous discussion um, to include more and um, this in regards of aberrations, also in regards of uh, cutoffs and also whether to include the tumor burden um, of myeloma disease um, in combination uh, with the cytogenetic aberration then coming to our uh, staging system. Yeah, so these uh, markers, are they independent or uh, associated with each other? And, and what is the global impact of these uh, high-risk markers? At the end, I think um, uh, they normally are, or, or they deal separately from each other. However, we have also patients um, where we have more than one high-risk aberration. And I think um, although the systematic data of those patients are rare, we can say that they have even an adverse prognosis uh, when combining uh, more than one cytogenetic aberration. And you um, did a very nice, um, uh, or include that very nicely in your publication on high-risk disease, that those patients with equal or more than two cytogenetic high-risk uh, characteristics have an overall survival even of less than two years. Yeah, so uh, when we go to the routine clinical practice, uh, I think most uh, clinicians uh, use uh, FISH uh, diagnostics for uh, cytogenetic abnormalities. But do are you, um, uh, you, of course, you are aware of other uh, genetic markers uh, in, in high-risk myeloma and other uh, techniques. Uh, can you briefly comment on that? Yeah, I think, first of all, um, FISH analysis should be standard of care for all myeloma patients independent of age. Um, even independent of frailty, and they, it should be always done on purified um, uh, plasma cells. Um, however, uh, as we both said, we move forward, and I would like to point out one discussion on one uh, cytogenetic abnormality, which are the um, with, which is the amplification on chromosome 1Q. And when we have um, more uh, than one or even repetitive copies of 1Q21. It was uh, for a long time, from my feeling, a better con controversial discussion about the impact of this. And I think recent data clearly 
showed that 1Q21 and the um, increase in copying numbers is a clear uh, feature of high-risk disease and should be included in the high-risk population. Um, we, from our German cooperative group, had early data on this, and this was why uh, we also included those patients in our trial here, but now they are emerging data everywhere. And I think one key publication on this was in the in 2018 publication of uh, colleagues um, defining the so-called double head myeloma. Um, and uh, they used also a different technique to look on high risk um, uh, and uh, did a genomic analysis and showed uh, that either uh, the B-allelic loss of TP53 or uh, the more equal or more than four copies of 1Q21 together with a high tumor burden um, is also a character of high risk and they define it as double head myeloma. Yeah, so you are also aware of the recent meta-analysis of uh, the Harmony program with EMN uh, of um, uh, thousands of patients that showed uh, that uh, 1Q21 uh, amplifications I think the Harmony um, Big Data Platform uh, as a European initiative is an absolutely um, very important source of generating those data and um, it serves for uh, a panel of hematologic uh, diseases and I think one of the most important um, works out of it re in regards of myeloma uh, was the, was the um, uh, revision of the revised ISS staging system now um, defining in the era of even more novel agents uh, four risk subgroups um, which very well uh, separate from each other coming from low, intermediate, low, intermediate, high and high risk. And this um, revised um, or R2 ISS core and you were also responsible for this important analysis, then uh, respected deletion 17P translocation 414 and the um, abnormality on 1Q together with um, the ISS2 or 3 disease and the high LDH to separate out these four groups. And I think this is for the clinical and daily um, experience a very important staging. It's uh, easy to use um, as all information is available with the normal myeloma lab values and the initial fish analysis. You don't need um, gene expression profile or uh, something very special. And uh, you can give the patient or yourself um, uh, really um, very distinct prognosis um, on uh, the potential disease course. So you uh, briefly uh, comment to uh, gene expression profiling, and I would also add uh, this uh, next generation sequencing. New tools, uh, relatively new tools, uh, I think not yet in clinical practice. Do you 
think they have a place in clinical trials or uh, elsewhere in the diagnosis of myeloma? I think so far uh, we cannot um, speak the final word on this. Um, uh, the gene expression profile, uh, to my knowledge, there are two approved um, GEP panels for myeloma, however, not consequently reimbursed. Um, so also in Germany, um, so that um, it, it did not enter so far due to the lack of reimbursement, the clinical routine. In general, it's probably more specific what we know from the data, I think. Um, however, and if it really uh, will add value in the sense of better defining our high-risk population, um, I think um, the final word is not spoken. For NGS, um, I personally also accompanied an analysis in the large daratumumab approval trials, um, introducing daratumumab in relapsed disease in combination with standard of care treatments, where the cytogenetic analysis was not done by FISH, but by NGS. And we did a, a correlation analysis with the local FISH uh, data and this is clearly an alternative, but if it's really an advantage, I'm so far not sure. Okay, thank you. So uh, to uh, end this part of the podcast, uh, what is your uh, advice to the uh, colleagues uh, in, in the uh, regional and local hospitals? What is the, the standard package of site genetics in a new patient? Thank Absolutely, you. I would say fish analysis in a, a dedicated lab and this should at least cover a deletion 17P, translocation 414, 1416 if available, and uh, the uh, abnormality on chromosome 1Q. I would also always add this part, it's not a high-risk feature, the translocation 1114, as first of all, shows a distinct biology in the myeloma disease course. And second, we have a druggable target with that, with the um, not approved, but hopefully uh, approved in the future, uh, our drug venetoclax. Okay, thank you. Um, so um, then coming to the, uh, uh, let's say the impact of cytogenetics on outcome of patients. We have, uh, you already mentioned uh, a few trials um, where cytogenetics were analyzed. Um, can you briefly comment if these new trials, these new treatments, especially with the immune treatments that are now coming our way, uh, how cytogenetic uh, uh, abnormalities affect the outcome of those treatments? I think that um, high-risk disease is or the outcome of high-risk disease is clearly improved where the um, uh, novel possibilities we have combining um, different uh, mode of actions and doing quadruplet treatments um, in front combining monoclonal antibodies anti-cd38 antibodies together with proteasome inhibitors and immunomodulators however I 
don't think that we are there, that those strategies do overcome for all high-risk patients um, the negative impact of high-risk disease. From the point um, of, our, of you uh, looking on our trial combining um, isatuximab, carfilzomib, lenalidomide, dexamethasone, or also the trial of the uh, British colleagues doing something very similar. I think we see that for um, a majority of high-risk patients, we can clearly improve the outcome and um, can prolong progression-free survival and can overcome the initial problem that those patients respond, but very, very early relapse. Um, however, um, we have still some, I would say, ultra high-risk patients, um, which we still lose with those strategies and they might need a total um, novel or innovative uh, strategies from the uh, beginning on. But overall, I think we made a major improvement um, in combination treatments with combining the best we have. So, in your practice, do you already make clinical decisions, therapeutic decisions, based on the results of the cytogenetic uh, risk group? Yes, we do. Normally, we try to include all patients in the trial. However, this is not always possible. So, for patients outside clinical trials, um, we clearly recommend, especially for high risk, but for all patients, a quadruplet treatment approved in Germany, in Europe, is Daratumumab VTD um, based on the Cassiopeia trial. And um, also, the subgroup analysis of high risk patients in Cassiopeia showed a very promising um, outcome. And what we do personally also uh, from, um, according to the work you did and your co-workers, uh, that we propose a tandem transplant uh, for all patients outside clinical trials with high-risk disease, as we are convinced that transplant-eligible patients do benefit uh, from a tandem transplantation uh, in outcome, despite it was not um, done in the context of quadruplet induction. However, we um, are convinced that the results uh, still support this, especially as we have approved the lenalidomide maintenance for all patients. And we know that it's also beneficial for high-risk patients, but we have all the feeling that it should be probably extended if we could wish um, to do that um, for high-risk patients. Why do we do this and why are we um, so strict in this recommendation? We uh, believe that um, achieving a maximum of remission, especially uh, a minimal residual disease negative state, is uh, crucial, especially for high-risk patients, to maintain the remission. And, um, and when we try to deepen the remission at maximum as we can, even outside from, of clinical trials, um, we uh, 
the patient should have a benefit out of this. And this is um, the reason we are here in the recommendation more extensive for high-risk patients as we are for standard-risk patients. Okay, now you referred already to new treatments uh, and whether they uh, are so effective that they might abrogate the negative prognostic impact of high-risk uh, cytogenetics. Now, many of these treatments are not giving frontline, but at first or later relapse. Uh, so my question is, would you perform again a cytogenetic test when you start uh, the relapse treatment? Uh, in other words, should we repeat the fish at any relapse or progression in order to assess the prognostic uh, risk group of the patient? I personally think it's, not as important as it is in frontline um, because um, we uh, have not this clear association with the disease course in relapse. When we look on a patient who potentially had seven or eight lines and then showing a deletion 17P, I think this is not a true 17P patient um, who would never make it to seven or eight lines. Um, and we are not sure what does that now mean. And we, are, uh, we know that myeloma is a clonal, very heterogeneous disease. Um, however, I think that especially with the upcoming uh, potential um, molecular targeting, especially um, the probability of giving venetoclax, if not available or clearly shown, then I would always look even in relapse if, um, for example, a translocation 1114 is there. We know it's stable. You don't have to prove it again. But if it's not proven uh, before, then we should potentially look on that. Okay. But uh, I understand from your answer that you do not advise routine uh, cytogenetic testing at every relapse or progression, only in special indications. Absolutely. Okay, so thank you for that. Uh, you already referred to MRD, minimal residual disease. So if we look further than just cytogenetics, would you uh, like to, uh, to say something about the prognostic value, or high risk or standard risk uh, with uh, uh, respect to the MRD status? Yeah, I think MRD um, is an important goal for us um, as it is um, more predictive in regards of outcome than, the than it is with the complete remission or immunofixation negative uh, remission. We have currently uh, two uh, major methods um, measuring MRD. One is the next generation flow, which is very well standardized in the Euroflow consortium and also next generation sequencing, and which is more used in the US um, potentially. And uh, although it is not routinely established in clinical routine, um, I think um, the data are showing very consistently for both standard and high-risk disease that um, when achieving MRD negativity, that this is translated 
into a better pro progression-free and also overall survival. Yeah, I think your message is quite clear here. That's, uh, uh, I mean, cytogenetic diagnostics are done at diagnosis. Uh, and but here we have a new uh, uh, high-risk feature, which is a patient who does not achieve MRD negativity. Uh, and this may be, uh, let's say, an important assessment for uh, further treatment decisions. Uh, do you agree with me? Absolutely. I think um, it is now for us a great gift kind of having the possibility to achieve MRD negativity in a substantial proportion of patients with myeloma. And um, now there is the time to tailor our treatment, to adjust our treatment, uh, to bring those patients uh, not achieving this deep remission um, uh, into this MRD negative remission if possible. So we are running a bit out of time, but I would like to briefly uh, ask you uh, what are the new therapies and new uh, antibodies or immune treatments that you foresee are going to have an impact on high-risk myeloma? I personally think um, these are the cellular treatments, the CAR T-cell treatments um, currently targeting BCMA, I think that no other method showed in very heavily pretreated patients with partially extramedullary disease burden. Um, those remissions, which were, to my opinion, absolutely unprecedented. And I personally think that this is one of the most promising strategies we currently have. Secondly, I personally think that the specific antibodies will have an uh, impact on treatment, not all myeloma patients, but also especially those you just mentioned, not achieving MRD negativity and might be a very important tool to turn MRD positive patients into an MRD negative remission. They have um, a very powerful potential, uh, in my opinion, to do this. So if, if we end now with this podcast, what would be your advice, very briefly, very short, to your colleagues how to um, work with high-risk myeloma patients? What is the most important thing? Not anymore saying, okay, you have high risk. We do the same as with standard risk patients, but the outcome is poorer. And, uh, and uh, to look really critical on the individual situation and then putting everything together to get the patient in a, a maximum deep remission. And uh, then there is the chance that even a high-risk patient will have a longer remission than we um, had um, before we had all these possibilities. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, I would like to remind the audience that uh, Professor Weissel uh, very nicely explained what is the cytogenetic risk group uh, that can be defined as high-risk myeloma. Uh, she also introduced MRD as a new uh, variable that determines high-risk uh, status in the patients. And she discussed new treatments uh, that have an impact on the uh, outcome in high-risk patients and may be used more and more uh, to improve the uh, poor outcome of treatment in these patients 
and hopefully bring it to the level of standard risk patients in the very near future. I would like to thank uh, Katja Weisel, Professor Weisel, for her time and uh, uh, her expertise that she uh, shared with us. And I would like to remind the listener uh, that this podcast uh, is uh, number two in a series of three. Uh, and you can join yourself and uh, your uh, experts for the remaining uh, one that will come very shortly. And this will be a podcast specifically dedicated to multiple myeloma in elderly patients. I thank you all for your attention and have a good day.